Welcome back to the Effort of Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, MDV, Gabe Yanez, are back for our weekly episode where we dive into things that are on our mind. Now, this week, fresh on Gabe's mind, at least, was his trip to VCon and lessons learned from Gary V, talking about cryptocurrency, a little bit of NFT action, of course. We then pivot into fitness, naturally, where we talk about leadership qualities, talk about what type of fancy equipment you may or may not need, appreciating the present, and then finishing it off, talking about taking inventory of your body. Now, something that's also fresh on my mind is Merrick Health. So I just got off the phone with one of their doctors. I was talking about my blood work and different things that we can improve. My wife is getting hers uh, done again in about a week. And Merrick Health, what they've done a good job of, they've made blood work accessible for me. So as we've talked about many of times on this show, I did not ever get my blood work done because it was a pain in the ass. These guys have done a good job setting up, having a, a consultant that I could work through, and then eventually a doctor to provide me insight. So if you've been on the fence about getting your blood work done, these are the best that I've found to help me and uh, keep me on a regular schedule every six months. So make sure you check out the podcast show notes for our friends over at Merrick Health. You could use the code EOE if you want to get 10% off your first blood panel, which is great, but they are doing really good things over there. Make sure you check them out. Now let's dive in a great episode with Gabe at MDV. Let's go. All right, Gabe, tell us about this incredible event called VCon. The only thing I saw from this, by the way, I should be, I should acknowledge the fact I knew it was like a crypto thing. I knew it was an NFT thing in particular. I know that Gary V has been about it for a while. And then I saw some skit where like people were like impersonating Gary V. That's all I saw out of the entire event. So talk us through it. Cause it sounds like it was pretty cool. Yeah. So it was, um, it was a, a, a unique experience, a super cool experience. So I went to this conference, VCon, and I guess that if you want to put a label on it, it was a Web3 conference, which is Web3 is like the term for all things that are now, you know, blockchain, crypto, NFT, essentially this like new evolution of what the internet can do that the best way that I heard it described, because I know this stuff, you know, can get super complicated. And I, for a while, was someone that as soon as I heard any of these terms, it was just like, I just kind of gloss over and I'm like, dude, I can't. Web one was like read only. It was like there were websites that you can go and people could put information that you could read. Web two was read and write in that you could still do the reading, but now you can also put out content, right? Like you can post things on Instagram, post things on Facebook. You can share things that people can now read, but that you can also write. And now web three allows you to read, write, and own. So now not only can you do the same reading and writing, but you can actually own because if you post something on Instagram, post, you know, even start um, a storefront on Shopify, at the end of the day, you don't own that storefront. You don't own that content. You're posting it on these platforms. What the blockchain allows you to do is now create something that you physically, not physically, digitally own. Like it, it just kind of comes full circle to what it allows you to do. And I thought that was a way that it was explained that kind of really made sense to me and also like allowed me to like better explain this to people that might be like curious about this web three world is. So that was the theme of the conference. There were a bunch of really cool speakers and I thought it was just a cool experience because I, I ended up going, it was also the very first conference or event really for that matter ever that entry was predicated on whether you held 
this NFT. So it's not something that you could buy tickets for. There weren't tickets for sale. It was the first one that incorporated this idea of the smart contracts behind NFTs to where last year, Gary Vaynerchuk launched this NFT project, which, you know, for a lot of people out there, NFTs are just, you know, it's, it's a digital image, but that is unique, non-fungible and unique because it's on this thing called the blockchain that can verify who the owner is, right? So I bought it. And part of purchasing into this project was that you got access to this conference for the next three years. So it was cool in that it was the first conference that, you know, it wasn't a ticket that got you in. It was holding a, a, a token that got you in because of the smart contract behind it. Um, so that was interesting in itself. And it was just really cool to talk, hear people talk about, you know, when people think about crypto and NFTs, I think that they immediately go to like, you know, Bitcoin and is the price going up and it just crashed or NFTs and these crazy JPEG selling for millions of dollars. But to really hear people talk about a lot of the real world implications that this technology can have, you know, things like birth certificates and medical records, like things that would make the world so much easier if they were like held in a decentralized place so that, you know, if you were going, if you moved from New York to California or California to New York and all your medical records were in Kaiser, you know, it kind of makes it a pain in the butt for a doctor that you see in New York to like know what you've done in the past. But if you imagine a world where we all had our medical records in this decentralized blockchain that just followed you around everywhere, it would make it so easy for things that should be decentralized and accessible to be accessible. So that's just one example of things people were talking about that, you know, if you really think about it, like this technology is here to stay. Sure, the price of crypto and stuff will go up and down, but it was interesting to hear all these smart people working on real world applications for this stuff that, you know, if you really think about it, like there's no way that that isn't the future that we were headed in. And the last thing I'll share about it, you know, the, the people that attended very different crowd than maybe I would ever kind of interact in some of the circles that I'm in, you know, like not too much overlap between like the fitness and health world and, you know, this crypto NFT world. One of the things that they had, they had, you know, a lot of gamers, like one of the activations they had is you can actually go watch these like really well-known gamers play video games. Like that's a thing that that community really enjoys. And there's a lot of overlap in those communities. So it was cool because I met a lot of people that I don't think I ever would have met had I not gone to something like this. And, you know, one thing that I talked about on the podcast a few months ago, you know, going to that sheepdog experience, I can't think of two different things that I've done on a weekend <laughs> and met like polar opposite, like different people. Yeah. But I think that that's that it's been cool to think about that because I, I think that one thing that we're lacking not to get super serious today is people going out there and like experiencing different things and really interacting with very, very different people that just have different mindsets on a whole variety of subjects. And I think that that's important. Um, but yeah, it was fun. It was good. How many people were there, Gabe? Oh, shoot, man. I, I, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I know that they did it at U.S. Bank stadium in minnesota like it was a football stadium and like the main stage was on the ground level and it was pretty packed um but i'm terrible with numbers so i wouldn't be able to tell you how many but it was a lot of people wow you know it's interesting about people who watch other people play video games i imagine that if that's almost the same thing like if you're not in that space or if you don't really get it is that the same thing as other people looking at people watching people work out 
is that the same, right? Like I'm curious because if you do these workouts and events and then you're watching it, you kind of have like a, you kind of feel like you're connected because you have an idea of like what they're going through. Oh, you're looking at their strategies and stuff. And then all of a sudden you play the video games. And for me, I don't play video games, so I can't relate. But all of a sudden, if you have someone who plays video games, probably watching someone who's really, really good at it. I imagine that's a similar contrast. Anyways, random thought, but um, cool, dude. Well, I'm glad you went, man. I'm, I'm, I, I need to hear more, man. I'm really curious about the Web 3.0. I, I agree that it's here to stay. That's for sure. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, the, the speakers were literally all over the place, and people that are incorporating it into media. There was even a congressman um, that was talking about like public policy and Web3. So it was, it was really cool. And more than anything, I think that he did just a great job hosting a really good event, especially being the first year that he hosted it. I think it was pretty dialed in in the experience, the flow, the speakers, the app that allowed you to go everywhere. I think that, you know, obviously we held the Collective Summit uh, um, a few years back and we've talked about doing in-person events in the future and obviously completely different scale, but always cool to see someone do something like that really well and just kind of, you know, jot down mental notes on, on things that maybe we can do better and bring to the fitness space in the future. Did they, go ahead, Andy. Did they think that Ethereum is going to be the main smart contract? You can't hear me? Your audio, oh, yeah. your audio is trash. Uh, Jason's audio, always, always. Gabe, how much was how much was Gary V involved in the actual conference versus just emceeing it? So yeah, he he opened up with a keynote um, and then emceed and like you know was um, moderator in a lot of like the main stage panels. But more than anything, like what his goal was, and you know if anyone knows anything about Gary V, like he's got fans that like will go to great lengths to like meet the man and just like, you know, he has a very loyal following. So his goal was actually to shake hands with everyone at the conference. And he spent five to six hours every day at a station, just taking pictures and shaking hands. That was what he spent most of his time doing, which was actually really impressive. I don't know how he did that for three days in a row. Did you get to shake his hand and meet him? I did on the second, second day. Hey, how's my audio? A lot better. Hey, did you did you fanboy a little bit? Don't lie, Gabe. Don't lie. Oh, I mean, I definitely wanted to thank the guy. Um, and I think that that's what a lot of people wanted to do. You know, a lot of the things that he puts out on his content have had a huge impact on how I view things and also just things that I've gotten interested in that have been super beneficial for me, both in professionally and even financially. So I, I, I did feel like if I had the opportunity, I really did want to shake his hand and say, thank you, which is what I did. And I took a picture. Dude. Gabe, what, what do you think makes Gary V so magnetic? Because he's, he's obviously somebody who has established himself as a leader in the, like the, the motivational, um, you know, kind of get yourself amped up type of space. He's also, you know, uh, an un, like an undeniable thought leader of like the current time in terms of like technology and trends and where things are going. And then he also like, he has this huge following of people who don't know him obviously on social media, don't quote unquote know him, but feel this really intimate connection to him. What in your words, because I know that you're a big Gary V fan. I, I, I kind of follow him only curse on like a, 
on the side. What do you think makes him so special? Yeah, I think that it's it's like relentless positivity, but also like combined with authenticity. Like I think that if you listen to enough of his content, I I I really struggle with people that you know because he he is polarizing. That some people give him a lot of shade for you know it being like a fraud, like it's too much. He's too over the top. Like he can't actually believe that like, you know, it's all about like love and being positive and seeing the bright side of everything. And like, I get that. But if you really listen and follow all his channels, like he, he believes it, like he never wavers from like his, the way he approaches every single thing. He has the actions to back it up. And I think the second thing is like, the guy's got a track record, man. Like he's called it right every step of the way. You know, from being one of the first ones to use Google AdWords to build his wine library business, to being one of the first people in like Facebook and being one, like he's every step of the way. And what I love that he does is he, he keeps the receipts, man. Like he constantly in his content now will go back and show a video yeah. where he's telling people like, you have to be investing in TikTok now when people like didn't even know what TikTok is. And now everyone's in TikTok. Like when it comes to what catches people's attention marketing and leveraging digital platforms like i can't think of anyone that's been right as many times as he has so i think you know he's got the track record i think he's incredibly authentic and he's just relentless in how he approaches everything dude he's relentless like i remember when i sat down with him i spent a couple hours with him uh, what maybe a few years back right and man you know like you don't want to be let down, right? Because when you meet someone that you've looked at as like a, like you're talking about has made a big impact on your life. When you meet them, you know, if they're an asshole, it could really impact you because um, you, it could change the way you frame that person. I just remember when I sat down with Gary, it was like, dude, this guy was just ding, 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 just sharp on point and super caring. He was everything that I thought he would be when I sat down with him. So for that reason, I mean, I don't pay attention to his stuff maybe as much as you do, uh, Gabe, but I appreciate the fact that what I thought he was going to be was exactly who he was. And I thought that was really cool. In particular, like the way that he showed a lot of attention to Ashley when she was in the room, I thought it was cool that he wasn't just about me or whatever. He was paying attention to everybody in the room and making everybody feel welcome, which I thought was great. Yeah. I think that there's, you know, obviously a, um, He's got the it factor, man. Like he has something going on where, and I'm sure he's had some swings and misses in his predictions and his investments, but you're right. He's been, he's been on a lot and he's, he's won big a lot and he shares those opinions out. He doesn't keep them to himself, which is also cool. He's very generous with putting it out there into the space on what he thinks is going to be an opportunity for people. But, you know, for, for me, I, I just think he's undeniable in like, his his energy, his attitude, his message, it's all very just singularly kind of focused in one direction. And he's relentlessly consistent with it. Like he's been doing this for years and years and years now. Like 20 and years, right? Or more. Yeah, I think I think I think more. Uh, but I think that there's a lot of a lot of good lessons out there for people who are in positions of of leadership, you know, whether or not it's uh, leadership on a smaller level or whether or not, you know, you're leading a, you know, a bigger company in terms of this, like whether or not you have the same kind of thing that Gary Vee has, because he's got a particular way of expressing himself that makes him very unique. And, you know, he stands out because of that. He 
he's a little bit crass sometimes. He's not afraid to, um, you know, say like whatever comes out of his mouth. He doesn't really care if, you know, you think he curses too much. Like he just, he just is who is it? He is. But like his authenticity and his consistency make him so magnetic, man. It, it, it's tough not to love the guy. It's tough not to pay attention to him. I'm sure he has haters out there, but um, you know, in terms of leadership, he's doing a really, really good job of setting a, a strong example of, of how to do it right. You know, and one thing that I think he did that was was interesting, and this, Jason, you mentioned um, that this is one of the things you saw when he was introduced to give the keynote to open up the, the, the first day, the person that actually came out was there are these two guys that have gotten super famous on social media and YouTube for impersonating him and essentially making fun of all the things he says. And that's actually who came out. So who came out first was someone that like essentially did a sketch on all the like, you know, reasons you would like make fun of or like roll your eyes at, at who Gary Vee is. And I thought that that was a really good way to like you know, be a little bit self-deprecating and like, you know, have fun with the fact that he acknowledges that, hey, he might be a little over the top about, you know, one of the things he always says is no matter how old you are, you have so much time, right? And it, like the joke is like, what, you're 80 years old? Like you have so much time to still be successful. So I thought it was funny that he did that and, and really kind of shows his side of, he doesn't take himself too seriously and he like acknowledges the fact that hey people are going to say whatever they want to say about certain things that he says but he believes them and that's okay yeah his message about the age thing i think is pretty powerful he goes on like his really he's trying to inspire people to go out there and go do reach their potential at whatever age they're at and i, I find that to be particularly compelling because he'll talk to people who are in their 40s it's like dude you got plenty of time and um yeah his his background is super for, for people who don't pay attention to some of this stuff, I think like, look, you look at some of this stuff, maybe you like it, but nonetheless, it's inspirational in some way, shape or form because he has been relentless at his pursuit, starting with reviews on YouTube of wine to where he's at today. It's pretty cool. That he's able now to put on conferences and really try and lead into that web 3.0, which I'm particularly intrigued on only because I don't quite, I mean, I understand a little bit of it, but I still think there's a lot more to unpack. And I think there's a lot of potential in that space if you know what you're doing. You know, in, in terms of like Gary V and we talk a lot about like other people like Tim Kennedy and Jocko Willink. And, you know, sometimes you bring up people like Rogan and there's a lot of other people out there right now who are kind of in that space as being people who have risen to a certain level of notoriety based on, you know, their 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 thoughts, their leadership, their presence, their attitude, how they go about doing their business. Um, and, you know, the the common thread through all of those people, and there's other ones, there's people of, you know, uh, all different backgrounds, creeds, races, religions, gender, all that kind of stuff. But the red thread that I see with these people who we discuss a little bit more often is, you know, they're undyingly authentic to who they are. Um, you know, that, that is one, they're always authentic to themselves. Number two is they're consistent as hell. Like they are just always on the same message. It's not, they're not changing with the winds every three seconds of like, oh, this over here, now this over here, now this over here. And then the last one is that they, 
they really own their shit, man. Like they own, they own up to when they are doing something that's really, really uh, great or and they own something uh, on the other side when they, they make mistakes too. Um, and I think that that leads to a lot of like trust and a lot of um, people who will look up to you as somebody who's, who's out there who wants to inspire or who wants to be inspired. I think that those are inspiring characteristics, authenticity, consistency, and then ownership. Um, and, you know, I, I look up to a lot of those guys and, and um, people who display those characteristics. It's, it's really cool to see that Gary was representing those at that scale, you know, shaking everybody's hand for five hours a day. Hey, hey Gabe, on a more technical note, do they think that, like, I, I, I have to ask, like, do they think that Ethereum is going to be the, uh, the, um, the actual component? Is Ethereum going to be the thing that they use for smart contracts in the future on Web 3.0? You know, the funny thing, and I, I guess I was expecting a lot of the conversations to be based off of that, too. Like, exactly where are things going? A lot of the conversations weren't about that. And I don't think that anyone necessarily made a strong case for you know, what, you know, whether it's Ethereum or Solana, that's going to be kind of like the, the future platform for these things. But, you know, just from being there peripherally, a lot of the speakers and the new technology going out there, at least it seemed like everyone's building off Ethereum and, and that there's a lot of, um, you know, eggs in the basket of them cleaning up, you know, a lot of the functionality that makes it, you know, quote unquote, environmentally not friendly or the gas super expensive, I think that there's a lot of smart people working on streamlining that, but I think that that's where a lot of the focus is, is on Ethereum. But that's just me basing that off of conversations I heard, and but no expert went out there and was like, hey, I believe this is the future because, you know, X, Y, Z. I think that one of the more refreshing things I heard from a lot of people is, hey, if anyone tells you that they know where this is going and what projects and what coins and what thing is going to be successful, like run for the hills. Like no one knows where this is going. You know that it's going to be the future, but I think that, you know, if anything, be wary of people that are like, Hey, this is where you should put all your chips in because this is the platform, the coin, the project that's, that's going where it's going. Oh so. man. Reminds me of Cheddar. Reminds me of Cheddar. Oh yeah. man. You don't need to bring that up. <laughs> oh man, my heart is broken over Chetta. Oh man. Oh, all right. Well, hey, I'm glad you had a good time, man. There was definitely a lot of lessons I'm sure you learned, and and I think one point that you made that I think is really important is exposing yourself to these different groups. You know, I was on a podcast yesterday with the guys from Caffeine and Kilos, and they're asking me from a parenting perspective what's something that I think about that could help raise kids, and I said that you know although the parents, it's ultimately their responsibility. I think it's very important to be a good beacon of all the things you care about. It's also important to have like a little bit of a tribe around them to get different perspectives and, and, and different backgrounds because then the children can become more um, diverse, right? Like, and, and I mean, like, for example, my mother-in-law comes from the East Coast. She grew up with nine brothers and sisters. She's much different than my dad who grew up in Iran. And she's much different from me who grew up on the West Coast. So having those different perspectives and those different people imparting on your life, I think is really valuable. And I think that as we get older, we start finding a more and more circle, 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 circle. And you're out there kind of, ex you know, expanding that circle. So kudos to you for doing that. I, I, uh, I tend to fall more into like a category over here and I probably need to do a better job of exposing myself elsewhere, to be honest. 
Where do you want to, where, where do you want to take it from here? I feel like we should take a, a, a pivot to fitness. You're on mute, big guy. Well, pivot to fitness. Um, for those people who aren't using the reverse hyper, I think it's a valuable tool. I use it on a daily basis. And I think it's, if you're looking to purchase something for like, it's, it's a couple hundred bucks. The Scout Hyper from Rogue, I think, does a really good job in Reverse Hyper. And Reverse Hyper, it was created by Louis Simmons. We've talked about it before, but I just it's just fresh on my mind because I was using it this morning. Um, what it does, it just kind of creates like this uh, extension and flexion in your spine, and it pulls your legs underneath this uh, bench, for lack of a better term. And if you use it accordingly, I think it really decompress your spine, and it can also strengthen your glutes and hamstrings. So if you're in the market and you want to really kind of engage your posterior chain more and or uh, lengthen and stretch out, I think the reverse hyper is a good option to incorporate in your training. I do higher reps uh, for lower sets, so like 20, 30 reps for like three to four sets a day. So that's where I'm starting. Where, um, you know, I've, I've, I've had a little bit of a history with, with back injuries dating back to, man, as long as I can... I can think, but more recently, really bad. And reverse hyper was a big part of, you know, kind of getting stronger and, and getting the pain to, to, to go away. You know, one thing that when I didn't have a reverse hyper was super useful and it's a little tough to explain for people that might just be listening, but you can look up videos um, of using a GHD machine in a band. Um, Cause I remember that that's what I did a lot where you just kind of get on the GHD facing the opposite way than you would stomach down on the pads put a band to your legs in the base and do that same extension works really well. Um, so I know that that's an option if you have access to a GHD, obviously, um, and might not have access to a reverse hyper because most gyms, you know, if you're at a functional fitness gym, it's more likely they'll have a GHD machine than a reverse hyper. Yeah. I've seen it done like with a, a dumbbell in between the legs. I've seen the band, mm. but yeah, ultimately or, or, or nothing. I mean, I, I've, I've spent plenty of time on a GHD opposite way and just flowing the legs um and then creating resistance on the way down without any band or without anything like that and it still works really well so that's that's hot on my mind and then the other one that's hot on my mind is um the multi-grip bar i think that for me it's it's i didn't see the value in a multi-grip bar until i got a multi-grip bar for bench for bench pressing it just puts my puts my shoulder in such a better position than a traditional bar um, that i highly recommend you know, people checking that out as well. You guys will be able to use yours soon. I think you guys are really going to like it. The The pressure is just totally different with your kind of palms facing in than, than palms facing forward, for me at least. So that's another tool that I've been using a lot lately. Here's a question for you, MDB. You know, a lot of the things that we're talking about here are just kind of these, I don't want to say on the fringe, but like, you know, wouldn't be like your foundational movements in a traditional you know, well-rounded strength and conditioning program. How important are these? Because I think that for a lot of people that maybe are, are starting to train or, you know, have been training consistently for a while, it can really get away from you because, I mean, we just mentioned two things now that are, you know, probably $500 a pop, $300 a pop. Yeah, a little at, bit more obscure too, yeah. Yeah, and you're looking at 800 bucks for, you know, two kind of, well, the multi-grip bar you can do a lot of different things with, but you get the point. Like, how important is it to incorporate maybe for someone that's been training for a while, these movements that work some movement patterns that you won't see in like a traditional NCX program like we do. 
Oh, that's a tough question. I think it really depends on person's goals. Um, obviously, it's also budget dependent. Um, and I think um, somewhat dependent on like level of skill and like where they're at in their their fitness journey. Maybe not so much skill, but more so like you said, where they're at in their fitness journey. I think that you could go down a rabbit hole with equipment and movement and different things or different philosophies or different positions. And you could start at one end and then you would never repeat anything ever again, you know, for the rest of your training life. There's so much stuff out there that you could dabble in. Um, you know, ultimately, I think that some of this stuff is it's really beneficial. Obviously, the reverse hyper is a fantastic machine for what it's built for, which is strengthening the posterior chain, creating um, some movement in the, the lower spine, and then helping the athlete, whether or not strengthen that chain or rehabilitate that chain. The multi-grip bar is a really nice uh, change up to the straight bar or dumbbells, but you could arguably get the same benefit out right. of using dumbbells, right? You're just changing yeah. the way that you're holding the weight. Um, so, you know, I think, I, I think about this stuff quite a lot because like, it's really hard to, to put like an answer, like a succinct answer on this, you know, somebody who's out there, there's so much more important stuff to be doing and thinking about before you get into thinking about whether or not I need to add a reverse hyper into my training. Right. It's kind of like with nutrition, when people start to think about meal timing or, you know, micronutrient supplementation. Supplements, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, yes, maybe you're at that point where that stuff actually matters. But for the vast majority of people who are, you know, out there trying to pursue fitness to live a better life outside the walls of the gym and, you know, be strong, be supple, have some conditioning, uh, be able to do all the things that they want to do. You can accomplish that and more with a very, very simple list of equipment, a very simple uh, list of movements, you know, adding in uh, simple prehab, simple rehab, making sure you're hydrating, make sure your nutrition is on point and never, ever, ever touch a, a reverse hyper or a multi-grip bar in your life. And you could reach insane heights of, you know, physical fitness and prowess and be able to do everything and anything you ever wanted to do. So, but there's also the other side of the coin where you have somebody who's, you know, potentially more advanced and they now have experienced all of these things on the one side of the spectrum that I just discussed. And, you know, they get to a place where they go, this would really benefit me for where I'm at in my journey, because I want to specifically target my posterior chain or you know, I've got this injury that's been historic for a while and I want to rehab it. I want to really open up and I want to invest the time and energy and I have the money to do it. And I have the space. So yeah, maybe you can get a, a reverse hyper and put it into your garage. Gym. But it would be like a nice to have. It's super, it's like non-existent low on my list of equipment in terms of what I think would go into a garage gym for the average person. It's literally like the second to last Thing. Maybe not the second to last thing, but it's, it's really far down the spectrum. You know, you bring up a really good point. MVP. It's almost like getting lost, uh, you know, in the weeds, right? Where 
we're talking about the seasoning and not even like the main dish right now. And, you know, yeah, I, I'm talking about it just because it was fresh on my mind, but the stuff that I use every single day or the things that we use in our gym every single day, like for example, um, in our gyms, we don't even have reverse hypers, right? Because they're just not a key component to the training philosophy, but they're nice seasoning and they're nice, like they're, they're just, they're nice to haves. So if you're, if you're interested in it, they're cool to explore kind of like jerk blocks. Like I don't use jerk blocks, but if I was really trying to get good at heavy jerks, I'd probably be using them. I used to use them, but I don't use them anymore. So, I mean, you bring up a good point, right? Like don't get wrapped up in the fancy equipment, right? Start, start focus on your current stuff. And then over time, if you have a desire, check these things out. But you're also right about the dumbbells, by the way. Although I, I'm a big believer in this multi-grip bar, and I think it's really fun. Uh, you could definitely get almost all the same benefits from a set of dumbbells, uh, for sure. Yeah, I think the gym analogy is the same as the individual training analogy. You know, if, if you are at a place in the evolution of your business where you have the budget, where you have the space, where you believe in this piece of equipment, and you want to bring them in and integrate them into the class environment, you're going to show your athletes how to use it properly, how to start off with no load or very low load, how to use it for rehab, then how to use it for prehab, how to use it for you know strengthening the posterior chain at higher loads or higher volumes. Then by all, intents, by all means, go out there and, and purchase 10 of them and have them in your gym all lined up and looking really fancy and who, who am I to say that you shouldn't or can't do that? But if you're like, in my opinion, if you're operating a functional training gym, you're just starting out and you have limited time, you have limited space, you have limited equipment, and you're trying to get the most bang for your buck, you know, purchasing 10 reverse hypers might not be the way to go. You know, you might want to invest it in the more simple, more basic equipment that's going to be used every single day in most workouts, most of the time. And most of your athletes are going to get the benefit from it. So, yeah, I mean, the world of strength and conditioning is like it's it's rife with all of these options. There's all of these things that you can do and see and try. And I think that that's really cool because it allows so much variety. But it also is incredibly, incredibly overwhelming. And I get overwhelmed. You know, I've been doing this for 15 years and I get overwhelmed thinking about Am I doing all the things that I need to do to put myself in the best position to reach my goals? And sometimes I sit there and I think, well, I could be doing more of this, or should I try this? Or can I do this? Or do I need this? And it's just like, honestly, I probably need to just take a step back. I need to warm up a little bit better. I need to invest a little bit more in some of my pliability or flexibility. I need to add strength training in a few times per week. I need to test my engine to make sure that I can still go really hard, really long, moderate, all these different pieces or, or, or lengths and distances. And then I, whatever my training goals are, ultimately, if, if it's to just live my life better and look good and feel good, generally that would get me there without having to involve a lot of fancy gear or a lot of like fancy protocols or always be thinking about, am I missing something? Um, it's a dangerous game because it sometimes if you're always thinking about what you're missing, you're never really focusing about the opportunities that you have right now or the things that you have in front of you that could be a tremendous benefit. Um, you kind of just get inconsistent. You're always trying something new. Hmm. You, 
that brings me to an interesting topic that's non-fitness related. But Gabe, what, what was your what was your point here? Well, I was just gonna say it, it. It reminds me of back when I was like super into cycling. It was always ridiculous to me, and ridiculous to like you know most people. But there was this group that like you know in cycling especially, and this is a great example because the amount that gets spent on bikes components is oh. absolutely the, absurd cyclists are the biggest gearheads yeah. oh dude, carbon you, fiber baby let's go <laughs> literally you would have people that like you know it's like a one thousand dollar upgrade on your seat post and derailleur because it's a couple of grams lighter and it would be the people that like i know you're not like training as hard as you should be you know like it's just more time on the bike like get a little bit stronger not like you know the most aerodynamic helmet and you know all these things it's cycling is like when it comes to that specifically, like people getting so caught up in like the latest gear instead of just doing the work and being consistent, I can't think of like a better world. And maybe it's just because I was like in that world for a while that I know it well, but man, people will throw thousands on making their bike a little bit lighter, but like, you know, won't do hill repeats once a week. Dude, you're so right. So when I used to race BMX bikes, uh, I would be traveling around and I had this guy that, that lived nearby and his family was more well off than my family. And they also saw about investing in the bikes more than my family did. So both of those factors, right? They were more well off and they also wanted to help their son win. And man, I feel like every week they were getting some new bike, the new technology, the carbon fiber fork with the Chris King headset with the this, 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 and just trying to reduce weight and optimize the bike. And you're totally right. Cause they're there. Cause that was something that was in there. Like, I mean, what's in their control is just putting in the hard work and doing the hill sprints, but it's so easy just to focus on the, the equipment piece. So I appreciate that perspective. I hadn't thought about that in a long time. Dude. And the craziest thing about like cycling specifically, and this, this used to get me all the time is that like the amount of money you would need to spend to like, you know, turn a 16 pound bike into a 15 pound bike, which is a big difference in like the world of cycling is huge. But like, you have to remember that you're on this bicycle, like you could lose the pound. And there were a lot of these people that were spending the money that had a pound to lose, you know, like it's the same unit that has to like, you know, go up or go against the wind. And like, I hate to tell you, but losing a pound of body weight is honestly not that difficult, especially if you have the weight to lose. So it's just, it was always crazy when people were like comparing the weight of their bikes. It's like 14.6, 14.8. And like, you know, you, you like, dude there's a lot more to lose somewhere else. Well, you know, yeah. I, I, I've certainly been quick to judge people like that in the past, you know, in the fitness community, because a similar kind of trend exists where it's like, I have to have the latest sneakers, the latest lifters, the latest knee sleeves, the latest grips, the latest jump rope. And it's certainly not to the same expense as there is to cycling because cycling is just outrageously expensive. Um, but, you know, there's also, you know, as I've kind of, hopefully matured a little bit. I, there's also this other side of it where I think that there's a level of like wanting to be accepted or in the, or in the in crowd, or you're, you're buying and doing these things to fit in or to, to make yourself kind of feel like you're actually involved and, and part of the thing. And, you know, that tugs at my heartstrings really, really big because I, I think sometimes there's, um, you know, people can naturally fit in, um, you know, without 
doing those things or without making the big purchases or without having the new lifters or whatever. Like it's some people, it's just very easy for them to, to go and be part of the crowd, whether it's because of their personality or their physical prowess or whatever. But then other people kind of have to sometimes find ways to make themselves feel like, you know, I'm really involved in this or I fit in, or like I have something that I can bring to the conversation. That's really, you know, cool and interesting. And I want to show this thing off. And I don't think that those things are, are bad. You know, I think that right now more than ever, you know, I think in terms of what's going on socially, politically, emotionally, mentally, all that kind of stuff, people need connection, right? You need connection with other people. And however, there's certainly unhealthy ways to get it for sure. But, you know, if buying the latest lifter or buying, you know, the new handlebars for your bike is going to help you feel like you're more connected to this group or is going to help you get out the door and then go on the bike ride or help you walk out of the door and go to the gym, fucking buy the shoes, buy the handlebars, do whatever you need to do. I'm not saying like bankrupt yourself or, you know, to your detriment, spend all of your money and, you know, focus on this while you should be paying your rent or whatever. But like, um, there's something to that as well. Um, because I just think that oftentimes a lot of people feel either left out or, you know, not a part of things. And it leads to situations that are, are not so great. Um, mm. you know, the other side of it is like, yeah, there is the, you could probably work a little harder and, you know, get the same performance benefits or more. Um, but those are conversations I think like for the coach to have in a really artful and tactful way with the athlete or like, you know, maybe your buddy and your cycling crew can, can have a nice heart to heart conversation with you about like, you know, maybe you don't need to spend the next $2,000 on the, you know, the, the spoke upgrade. Maybe you just need, maybe we can work a little bit harder together or whatever. But um, yeah, I think that there's another side to this that, you there know, definitely is another side MDV. Yeah. I appreciate you bringing that up because it also builds your confidence, right? Where, you know, you're, you're going into the, let's just say a bike race. I mean, I knew that back in the day when I was racing bikes, like I would have liked to, have, and maybe I was, I probably was jealous, right? Cause I didn't have the money and I, and I, and to buy this equipment and that probably helped build that person's confidence, knowing that they had the best bike on the track too. Now you got to back that up with some hard work, but probably built their confidence. And then talking about CrossFit, I mean, dude, a really great example of that is 2008 CrossFit games. I mean, I'll never forget the way I felt where you know, we're in the back warming up for the final event and everybody, every single athlete was wearing Oli shoes and I had never even heard of them. And I remember the way I felt like, I felt like I was an outsider in this world because they were all talking about their Oli shoes. Or I, I remember looking at the Oli shoes and at the time they're like those old school Dewins. You guys remember those with the Dewins? Yeah. They were wooden soles and lime green and black and pink and black. The, the black ones, right? Are the, yeah. yeah. And I just remember seeing him and be like, oh, what are those? And OPT was like super nice to me. And he talked to me about what they were. And I remember he was almost like treating me like, you know, it's okay. Like, 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 uh, you know, like I, I didn't know what I was doing. And I, and I surely, I didn't. And uh, so there is a definitely a piece of that where rocking specific gear can make you feel more connected to that particular community. And that was a good example for me because I was the one wearing Nike Freeze. Everybody else was wearing Doing. So Nike Freeze. Yes. Bro. Man, Nike that's a throwback. Freeze. Dude, I loved those shoes. And then I and I started rocking the Innovates and then eventually got into Reeboks. But 
anyways, good, good points, MDV. I appreciate that perspective on that. I hadn't thought about it through that lens. Yeah, so, I mean, um, what were you going to say? Oh, no, go ahead. No, I mean, I think that it's 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 hard in the moment sometimes to see that other side where, you know, you, you're just simply looking at – I. You know, I judge this cyclist all the time that I see who are riding around, you know, because they're all always so geared up. They have the whole, you know, U.S. Postal Service uniform on and like the helmet that looks like a, a freaking like, you know, egg in the front and then the, the whip tail in the back. And, you know, you never know. I, I think you never know what somebody is going through. You never know what kind of situation they're in or, you know why they might be doing this thing or, you know, it, it just is one of those things that's like you, we were saying before we got on this call, there's a lot of stuff that's happening right now in terms of, you know, our society in which, uh, you know, people, people need help and they need connection. And, you know, you never want to just judge somebody on the surface for what they're doing or what they're wearing and, uh, be kind to those people around you for sure. Dude, it's not- I, on that note, you know, it's funny. I got a text message this morning that was really meaningful to me. Uh, one of our former coaches sent me a text message, and I probably haven't talked to him for, I don't know, probably four years, right? I haven't talked to him in a long time. And he said some of the lines of like, um, I'm writing you to formally say thank you for letting me get my start with you and all the good memories and opportunities you gave me. It was a good time, and I appreciate it. I'm super grateful. And he went on to say a few more things. And I wrote back, I said, hey, like, you don't know how much this means to me. This is really like, I'm really, I really appreciate you letting me know this because sometimes I feel like we're just, you know, kind of trying to swim upstream and it feels good to know that at times you've been able to make an impact on other people's lives, not only just members, but also, also team members. You know, I, I, I try and wear my heart on my sleeve. I try and give everything I possibly can to the team. And sometimes I feel like it's, you know, like I said, swimming upstream. So this was really meaningful to me. And I wrote that back to him, right? Because it was a fact. And he wrote back something to me. And then he finished it off. It's like, glory days, man. And I thought it was interesting to finish it off that way. Because I wonder how often people reflect on their life. And they reflect on times that they've had. And say, hey, those were the glory days. But I wonder if when you're actually in the glory days, if you actually realize you're in the glory days at that moment. And it takes that hindsight. It takes that future to kind of look back and be like, wow those really cool times. Um, it was just something I was reflecting on this morning after getting this text is like, am I currently in my glory days right right now? But yet I'm too short-sighted to see that. And I'm going to reflect back a year or two or five, 10 years from now, and be like, man, those are really good times. I should instead be grateful for the times we're having right now. Anyways, I, I that text message just was kind of sparked some conversation in my head. Yeah. I think that that's a fantastic point. You know, it's very hard to appreciate the present, you know, whether or not because of hardships that you're going through, or you think that you could be doing better, or you're thinking about the past and how easy you might've had it in the past or whatever. Like it's very hard to take stock of how yeah, everybody's got problems and everybody has things that they're going through. I'm not saying that this is like, it's rosy for everybody, but you know, it's very easy to, to be where you are right now and to look to the past and go, wow, it was so much better when, or to look to the future and say, it's going to be so much better when. And I think that when you get to those points, when you do eventually get to the future, 
you probably don't appreciate it as much. And you're looking back to the past and you're like, man, I, I wish I could go back and, you know, relive where I was. And, you know, looking, it's a, it's a very, very tough thing. I'm a very nostalgic person. I like thinking back on, you know, my childhood, where I grew up, my friends, all the good times that we had. And sometimes it's, it's not healthy to do it because it does it to the detriment of where I am right now. But there's also a level to it where it's cool to think about like, oh, they had some such great times and those were really fun. And, you know, I'm glad that I got to live that. But if you're doing that constantly, if you're constantly living in the past or constantly living in the future, you never really get to appreciate the present. And then eventually your time runs out and you go, wow, I regret not being more present or not living those times more uh, presently and abundantly while I had the chance. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I thought that was really relatable today for me. You know, one of the other things I think about is like your past for some reason, you just kind of remember the greatest hits and you don't remember some of the struggles. Like, um, I, I, like even with Ava going through cancer treatment, like, I mean, I definitely remember a lot of really shitty times, but when you're in it, it's just really, it's heavy. But then later on, it kind of starts to fade and you kind of remember some of the good times. Like, you know, on Valentine's night, eating cheese and wine with a, with Ashley in a, in a, in a closet, because whatever, like you just kind of remember like, Oh, that was kind of cool. But at the time you're like, this sucks. I want to be out of fancy dinner, you know, but then hindsight, you kind of remember a little bit more of like the kind of like highlight reel versus remembering what actually went on. And so I wonder how often that happens to people when they reflect back on the glory days of like, if, if, if it's the glory days, mainly because they kind of have alleviated some of the negatives that were also occurring, which happened in everyday life. And, and they're, they're currently going through that now. Anyways, I just, I found that to be an interesting text. And, um, well, I think it's an, it's a natural tendency. I think a lot of yeah. people experience that, right. It probably is a, a defense mechanism in some way. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That when you look back on the past, you try not to remember all of the, maybe the hardships or the things that were really challenging or traumatic. You try not to bring those forward. It, this is especially powerful. I think, you know, for anybody who's been through relationships, a lot of times, and I'm not going to say for everybody, but for me and for some people who I know who share this trait, like you look back on past relationships and all, all you get to, all you think about are the good times in those relationships. And it's very easy to be like, Oh man, that was, so fun when we did that, or we had such a great time, or like we had so much compatibility, but then you don't think about all the pain and all the struggle and, you know, maybe the things that you did wrong or the things that the other person, you know, the missteps that they, they had. And it's very easy to block those out because you don't want to feel the pain associated with those, or you don't want to think that maybe I'm still doing those things right now. It's very easy to block them out and only think about the positive. And, and on the flip side, in the present, I think it's incredibly easy to focus on the negative, right? And, and, and that's kind of that dichotomy is, is what I think negatively impacts a lot of people and, and anxiety levels and all that stuff, because you're right, you, you feel like the best times are behind you, but now you're just focusing on the latest headline in the news and just whatever's going on that's going to kind of be detrimental and stressful. Um, you know, one, what that reminds me of this, this one guided meditation I did once and admittedly, I don't do meditation maybe as much as I, as I should. I know that there's a lot of benefits. I just can't get to it, but one guided meditation I did one time, and this was super interesting because I still remember it to this day was 
going through every part of your body and trying to like consciously like feel it, right? Like feel the bottom of your foot, like feel each of your toes and not while moving, but really feel it. And what the speaker of the guided meditation brought up, which is so true, is we only like take inventory of how our body feels when it hurts. Like, think about it. You only, like, if your elbow is sore, that's when you're constantly, like, doing this, trying to find the pain, like, it hurts. But you never really, like, sit down in the present and you're like, man, like, my back feels great today. Like, there's no pain. It's not tight. It's not bugging me. It's not, like, a little tingly. Like, usually those are the only times you're thinking about it. You're only thinking about your body when it's tight, when it's bugging you, when you have a headache. You never just, like, sit down and you're like, wow, like, my back actually feels really good today. Um, and I, I'll never forget that because it was a really interesting kind of example of exactly what you're talking about, right? Like you're only thinking about something on your body when it's bugging you. And I think that there's there's something to be said about spending some time in the opposite. Huh. That's super interesting. Yeah, because MDVM and I have been talking a little bit about his hip, for example. But yet we're talking about his hip. We don't talk about, you know, MDV's 8,000 pack and uh, whatever else he has going on. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, that's a really, that's a good lesson, uh, Gabe. I appreciate that, man. That That's going to be one that I'm going to take forward. My hips are not good. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> My hips are uh, not good. Oh, but no. APAC is on point, baby. Yeah, dialing in the nutrition a little bit more, weighing and measuring my food, trying to control the things I can control for sure. Oh, baby. Oh, man. Dude, I, I, I like that, th this part of the conversation. I think that that's really helpful. I, I, I love that guy. I, I, I'm not a big guided meditation or meditation guy, but I do think that what you're speaking of, Gabe, leans into this idea of like um, uh, almost like a positive self-talk and coaching yourself. Like oftentimes we'll, co we'll, we'll talk to ourselves like negatively through a workout. Like, oh, dude, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm going to die. I'm, 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 I can't breathe. But if we focus on like coaching ourselves in a positive way, like, hey, find your heels, keep your chest up, whatever, it, it, it kind of puts you in a better mindset. Same thing that you're talking about. Like if you're only focused on, dude, my, my, uh, I don't know, shoulder, like you said, but you never think about like, dude, my, my, my back feels solid today. You know, it also helped. I jumped on reverse hyper and hit the cold plunge, but you know what I mean? Unrelated. I would love to see you, Jason, try guided meditation where you're not able to you're not able to move. You have no music. You got no phone. You got no kids. You can't, don't bring, you're not needing to bring Caden anywhere. You're not in the car. You're just sitting and let's see, let's see how long we can do it. <laughs> you think I, do you, yeah. So it, it sounds to me. I think like, like you would train, you would, you would need to train up from a, a very short amount of time to longer <laughs> amounts of time. Me too, uh, though. I'm, I mean, I probably need to start off. I think most people would need to start off small, but You've got a you've got a million miles per minute brain. I, I think it's so hard, man. Like I've tried I've tried different apps, I've tried different platforms. I, I can't. I, I I don't know, man. I just like can't like just quietly sit still. The the one um so I, I've kind of had fits and starts with like meditation in the past. And the one thing that really stuck with me was Oh gosh, what's it called? There's a type of meditation where you just repeat the same word over and over and over again. You have a mantra word. I think it's called transcendental meditation. But that made it easier for me as opposed to just sitting and feeling like, you know, getting uncomfortable or like racing thoughts. Like 
I had this one word that I would just repeat over and over and over again. And it was a really interesting thing because I started to, my mind started to go blank and I would think about this word and I would just feel like I was continuing to go down like another black hole or another black hole, another black hole. And I was just thinking about this one word the entire time. And, you know, some stuff tries to come in and you start to, you start to like think about something and like very quickly you come back to the word and that thing goes away. But it was a really interesting um, feeling, uh, transcendental meditation. Have you guys, have you guys done the, the float tanks? Yes, I have. Well, how, Sensory how, deprivation. Yeah. yeah have you crazy. done it, Jay? I, I haven't, but Ryan Dewey, who's oh. the founder, co-founder of the Cold Plunge, actually owns a spot in Sacramento and he invited me to go there. So oh, next you got time him. I'm in Sacramento, I'm going to go do it. We you think I'm out? I, 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 I don't know, man. It's because it's, it's, it's challenging. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. It's tough to explain because like literally sensory deprivation, right? So like you, you hear nothing, you, once you like lay still for a while, you kind of don't feel anything because the whole point is that the surface temperature and the water temperature are both kept to your body temperature. So you're floating there and it's weird because in no other situation would you really feel nothing like on you because you're also in there naked there's no light um it's an interesting experience for sure it was tough to like relax at first once i relaxed i actually fell asleep um but yeah i've done it a, a couple of times but in the beginning it's just weird i've done it maybe five five times um yeah i've done it a handful of times and you have to go into it in the right mindset um Mindset was a big one for me because there was a couple of times where I started to panic and you, you can work through some of it, but there was, I remember one time distinctly where I was not in the right mindset going into it. I was overthinking about stuff. I was anxious and you get in there and you, you can't control anything in there. Like there's no, you can't turn, like you can turn the light on or open the door. Like if you're panicking, but like it's all, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's no sound. There's no light. You don't feel anything. So if your thoughts, and I know that there's power to this and some of it is working through it, but if your thoughts are really, really racing, it was, there was one time it was unbearable for me and I had to, I had to get out. But most of the other times I, I went in, it was very interesting and cathartic and relaxing when my mind was able to slow and just kind of be in the space. Huh. Yeah. All right. I may, I may try that. I think Ashley tried it once. And I, I don't think she stayed in. I think she was like, this is weird. I'm out, but I, I'll give it a shot. I'll give it a shot, especially because Ryan has his spot. Um, well, dude, I, uh, I always love talking to you guys. Um, what are the, anybody, anybody have any plans in particular for the weekend? Anything cool? Yeah, actually, um, Chad, our good friend Chad from Yeti, um, gave me a heads up that the, uh, film festival that you went to stopping by Austin tonight. So oh, no be, way. Yeah. So I'm going to be going to that. Super excited. I'm, I'm, I'm glad he reached out. Big shout out to Chad and Yeti. Love him. Love the brand. So I'm super excited to do that. Do you wait until you hear the story about the fly fisherman and what I he can't wait. Through. Yeah. Just, just yeah. that one particular story was very compelling. Wait until you hear that one. I'm excited. Uh, nothing too much on the agenda this weekend. Um, I'm taking it a little bit easier this week, training wise. I haven't done any jujitsu this week. Haven't really done any heavy lifting in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, just trying to make sure that I'm I'm doing right by my body here. It's telling me something something's up, and 
investing in some uh, some some prehab and some stretching and um, uh, some PT. So just taking it easy, letting letting the body rest. I like it. Well, tomorrow night I'm going to go see Stanford, go beat Oregon State for the women's softball uh, super regionals. They call them. Actually, I've never been to a softball game in my life. I'll have to let you guys know how that goes. Um, I'm high level to- women's softball is legit. Oh, dude, I have no doubt. Like, super I, I'm legit. Excited. So, Caden's really into baseball, so I think he'll actually really like this. And I want to go support, you know, one of our team members. Um, her wife is a assistant head coach, so I want to go support them at Stanford. So I'm doing that. And then I'm taking Caden uh, with one of his friends to uh, go shooting with Mr. Dave Castro on Saturday morning. So, uh, you know, hey, if you're going to go learn how to, you know, long range shoot, you might as well go f- learn from a, you know, sealed, a seal. So it'll be good. So I just looked up really quickly the fastest women's softball pitch, and it says that it was 77 miles per hour. But that's at a shorter distance from a normal mound. So I don't know what the adjusted miles per hour is, but that probably feels like it's coming at you about a million miles per hour. I I, I just got like this like like flash memory from my childhood. I don't know if you remember watching this, but after Saturday morning cartoons, they had – I forget the name of the show – but it was like a baseball show and it was Jenny Finch would go around like striking out major league baseball players with a softball. Do you remember that? Uh-uh. No. Oh dude, it was the best. So Jenny Finch is a softball player. And I just remember watching this, like the whole show that she would go around and like, you know, like strike out Barry Bonds with a softball. So anyway, that's what I remember. Dude. Well, I'll report back to you guys about how that experience goes. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll let you know what we learned with uh, Dave shooting as well. Wait, MDV is trying to say something. He's holding up his finger. He's on mute, he's on mute. But he's on mute. Are you new to this I'm, game? No, no, yeah, I'm new. Sorry, my first podcast. Um, I was just looking up <laughs> what is this? Uh, six. So a 61 mile per hour softball pitch is a 90. No, a 65 mile per hour softball pitch is a 91 mile per hour baseball pitch. A 75 is a hundred. Wow. So. That's moving pretty, pretty fucking fast. You know, the, the hardest throwers in baseball are throwing like 99, 100, 101 consistently now. So 77 is probably like 102 or 105. Ooh. Hey. It's spicy. I'm ready, man. Well, I'll keep you guys posted. Go Stanford. And uh, yeah, um, I, for those of you listening, make sure to leave us rating, review. And make sure you go check out the NC Fit app.